as many of you know from your uh, Bible study classes in the past and Sunday school classes, Matthew's Gospel was written to the Jewish community, the new Jewish community that was uh, becoming part of the Christian community. And Matthew wrote it for them and wanted them to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, that he was the new Moses. So Matthew's Gospel has five discourses in it to parallel the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So there are five discourses in Matthew's Gospel. The first one is in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. It includes the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer, which in a sense present a new set of ideals for followers of the Christ. And then the second discourse, chapter 10, it's the missionary discourse, and it's directed at the disciples, advising them how to travel in their missionary journey. The third discourse begins on chapter 13. That's our chapter. And that discourse, the, 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 the folks who are the authorities and all of this and write all the commentary, call it the parabolic discourse because this chapter 13 is just a whole pile of parables, one after another, one parable after another. The fourth discourse on chapter 18, and it is the discourse on the church. And it's the anticipation of a future community, and it emphasizes humility and self-sacrifice. And then the fifth discourse is found on chapter it begins with chapter 24, and it's called the Olivet Discourse, and it is mostly about judgment. So we're going to leave that one there. <laughs> we need to concentrate on this one, chapter 13, the third discourse, a parabolic discourse. So we encounter the parable of the sower, parable of the sower, perhaps of the seed, parable of the, of the soil. I love parables. Parables tend to disarm. I forget who it was, the parable said an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And they, they, take, they shift the blame, uh, not the blame, but they shift the, the, the task from the person who's speaking the parable to the listener. The listener has to make some sense of the parable. Many of the folks who write about, uh, who are the authorities who write the commentary, say that Jesus spoke in parables in chapter 13 uh, because he's about to get into trouble with the authorities in Jerusalem. And in order to get away from being called a heretic and everything else, he started speaking in parables after all. Who would accuse anybody of being seditious or heretic when you're speaking about seeds and about soil and about all the things that the soil seeds? And that's the, something, that's his way of, being, of avoiding getting into trouble before it was his time to be in Jerusalem. So we have this particular parable. It disarms, and it invites us to consider how we are going to interpret the parable. The burden is on us. How we interpret it is up to us, not on the narrator. Now, Jesus gives us a pretty good clue what this parable is about. And he says that it's a parable of the sower. So who am I to argue with Jesus, right? So let's pay attention to the fact that it is about the sower. It's clear from Jesus' intention, the sower is God. And God is not a very good farmer. When I was up at, uh, at my college at Suwannee, I met some friends of mine who have since that time become farmers. Uh, not gentlemen farmers, they're actually farmers. They make money off their farms. And one time I was talking to them, and we were in a church service, and this parable was the reading for the day, and they said, you know, God makes a very terrible farmer. Nobody throws seeds around like that. You plant seeds in a furrow. You're very careful how you're going to plant all these things. And then he said, you know, God would make a terrible, terrible farmer, but God makes a very good God. And that's true. Aren't you grateful that God's not a good farmer? Think about it. It's about plenitude. It's about graciousness. It's about abundance. God's going to scatter that seed everywhere. 
God's going to scatter the seed without any reluctance. God is going to scatter the seed everywhere in any kind of path, in any kind of situation, which is a good thing for you and for me. It's a very good thing for you and for me because, you know, sometimes uh, we are the, the seed that we're the beaten path. Sometimes we're the hard ground. Sometimes thistles are all around us and seldom, but sometimes we're also the good soil. So this parable, first of all, is about the generosity of God. It's about the abundance of God. It's about the plenitude of God. It's about the graciousness of God. It's about God being a terrible, terrible farmer. And we can all say, thanks be to God. I think that it is also about the soil. Notice how much part of this parable is spent on the soil. And there I said four different kinds of soil gathered there. Now what I know about life is that uh, the condition of soil changes in our lives. If you think about it metaphorically about our hearts, that the soil of our hearts changes with different aspects and different times in our heart. So sometimes we can be that hard ground. Sometimes we can be that parched ground. Sometimes we can be surrounded by thistles. And sometimes we can be the good soil. I'm assuming that all of us want to be good soil. I'm assuming that all of us want to be open to God's Word. And I think that I'm accurate with that because we're all gathered here this morning. If you didn't want to be good soil, you wouldn't be here. You'd be out reading the New York Times. You'd be out gardening better than God would garden. You'd be playing golf. You'd be playing tennis. You would be watching Roger Federer at Wimbledon this morning. <laughs> Not that that's what I want to be doing this morning. But you'd be doing something else. So I trust that all of us want to be good soil. And if I were to ask you then on any given Sunday morning, what are the qualities of good soil? What is necessary to consider uh, how we can be good soil? To be prepared to receive the Word of God, to hear the Word of God and put it into our hearts, to listen to God. And I would suggest to you, I think we would have a million answers for that. The ones that I come up with in preparation for this are four of them, and I offer them for your consideration about the qualities of good soil. The first one is this, that experience is not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens, what's had happened to you. Wisdom and experience is not what happens to you, it's what you make of what happens to you. You and I both know that we learn from the things we do well, we learn from our victories. You and I also know that we learn through the heartache of life. And sometimes I think we learn better from the heartache of life. Nobody guaranteed you an easy life. Nobody guaranteed you that there would be no troubles in your life. Nobody told you that there would be no sorrow in your life. Nobody told you there would be no problems in your life. The question is, what are you going to do when things happen to you and what you do when things happen to you, I think, I think, is what call, calls, creates wisdom within us. It's what opens our hearts. So it opens our minds to be able to receive the Word of God. I think during the most difficult times in life is when I have been most prepared to hear the Word of God. That's something that will challenge my assumptions about life. The second quality about good soil, I think, is about listening. Jesus gives us a hint in this parable, and he says, listen, listen. And I think to be a listener requires some humility. 
As a matter of fact, it requires a good bit of humility because it means that you're willing to consider somebody else's thoughts, that you don't have all the answers, that you don't have all the right ideas, that you're not the perfect one. One of the things that drives me crazy about what's happened in the Episcopal Church, and I'll be very honest with you on this, is that over the past, uh, I want to say, 20 years or so, the Episcopal Church has moved into two directions. There's a conservative Episcopal Church, and there's a liberal Episcopal Church. And the conservative Episcopal Church tends to gather with each other, and they confirm their own suspicions about what their thoughts are about God and about life. And the liberal part of the church gathers as a liberal wing of the church and confirms their own suspicions about God and about life. And I want to tell you, all we're doing is confirming our own suspicions about God. And the question that I always have, if that's all we are doing, if that is all that we are doing, where is the spiritual growth in our lives? Spiritual growth come, I think, when we enter into conversation with each other and we decide that we are going to listen to each other. And if that's true about the church, think about our society. Think about our society which is only shouting at each other. Nobody listens. Everybody has the right answer, and they're not willing to consider somebody else's thoughts. And we find ourselves in a very difficult situation when all that we can do is argue, and all that we can do is shout at each other. I think the quality of soil, good soil is this, the humility to be able to listen, the humility to be able to listen to the Word of God that may invite you to consider some other reality about your life. The third quality about being good soil, I think, is this that I offer for your consideration. It's about imagination and creativity. Good soil is about imagination, understanding that the world begins with wonder, ends as wonder, and is full of wonder in the middle. I've told this congregation a number of times, and I'll say one more time, is this, that to be faithful, I think, is to be creative. Too much of the time we spend our, our lives on religion thinking that it's all about do's and don'ts, when I think that God is inviting all of us to be creative, to be able to imagine new possibilities, to be able to imagine a new world, a new way of being. Isn't that what we pray with the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. It's about imagining a new world like the kingdom of God. Now, it will never become reality, not until we see God face to face, but it doesn't stop us from dreaming about that kingdom of God. It doesn't stop us from moving towards the kingdom of God. And I think that imagination and creativity are gifts from God that prepare the soil to be able to listen to the word of God. I once took a class from Walter Brueggemann, and in that class, Walter Brueggemann started talking about uh, the Gospel of Mark, and Gos Mark's Gospel, as you well know, is a Reader's Digest version of the Gospel. It only has 16 chapters, and Mark is very brief about everything, and Mark doesn't give you any details about everything. He just throws it at you. And what I remember Walter Brueggemann saying was that, you know, what he loved about the Gospel of Mark was that you had to read the Gospel of Mark with the throttle of your imagination wide open in order to be able to create a scenario that would, would be able to hear and to listen to the Word of God more, more openly and more fully. And I think that's the invitation. Good soil has imagination. Good soil thinks creatively. Good soil can think about dreams and the possibility of those dreams. And to be faithful, I think, is to be 
creative. And the last part that I think is good soil, of good soil is this, is the conviction to act on your beliefs. The conviction to act on your beliefs. I know this has happened to you, it's happened to me. Somebody comes up to you and they'll say, um, they'll tell you something like, my aunt is in the hospital, or my grandfather died, or so-and-so is having a problem. And we normally respond by saying, I'll keep you in my prayers. But let's be honest. Do we all pray every day? If we don't pray every day and we don't pray constantly, uh, those are empty, empty offers. I have to confess to you that it happens to me over and over here in downtown Washington. Every time that I wear my collar, it becomes like an open target going over there to get a sandwich two blocks from here. <laughs> and a lot of people will stop me, homeless people will stop me, and the first thing they'll say is, uh, will you give me $5? And I say, I don't have $5 to give you. And then they'll say, well, if you're not going to give me money, how about a prayer? Will you pray for me? And I always say, yes, I'll keep you in my prayers. Let me tell you, I have no intention of keeping them in my prayers. It's deceitful. It's embarrassing. And I don't have the conviction to act on my beliefs. During the Capitol campaign, I encountered some of it. Some folks came up to me when we were doing the uh, asking for the campaign, and people would say, well, you know, when I win the lottery, I'm going to be very generous towards the church. And my response was, get over it. You're not going to win the lottery. <laughs> and the question is, will you act on your con the conviction of your faith? Will you be as generous as you can in your offering to the capital campaign as opposed to waiting for that lottery to come home to you? But it is about the conviction to act. If you don't act, all it is is mental wheels spinning in the sky. If you don't act, the Word of God doesn't get proclaimed. If you don't act, the Word of God doesn't get to be known. If you don't act, the people won't know about the love of God. If you don't act, the people won't know about the grace of God. If you don't act, people will not know about the forgiveness of God. If you don't act, people will not know about the kingdom of God. And good soil has the conviction to act. Well, it's only a discourse on parables, this chapter. It's only a discourse on parables. But they're intending to disarm us and inviting us, the burden to be on us, to interpret them. I think Jesus is very clear. The sower, it's God. Terrible, terrible farmer, but a very good God. And an invitation about how you consider the soil of your heart, the soil of your life, and the condition of it, so that ultimately we may act on those convictions and proclaim the faith in which we believe boldly and surely. Amen.